Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Today's episode is brought to you by cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Now at O'Reilly Auto Parts, pick up a bottle of Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale for $7.99. Plus, earn double O Rewards points. Help your engine run smoother and last longer with Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale now at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supplies. See store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Finsider Radio, part of TheFinsider.com and the SB Nation Network. And now your co-host, MC Money, serving the creepy soccer dad and house empty. And we are back here on Finsider Radio with serving the creepy soccer dad and house MD. And tonight, ladies and gentlemen, it is our first officially official show of our relaunch. We came to you last week with a lot of jam-packed information. We had Maddie and Fonte on our show. We had OJ McDuffie. We had Seth Levitt. It was an hour-long show. We've had great viewership. And we've had a lot of great feedback on our relaunch. But today, this show is where it all starts because we are going to fly by 45 minutes. Perfect for your morning commute, afternoon commute. Perfect for your lunch break. Perfect for you when you want to go into the bathroom at work and just listen to it and get away from everything. Jam-packed show. Defined segments. Moving straight forward. We have a lot to talk about this evening. And on this week's podcast, training camp for the Miami Dolphins opens Wednesday morning. But first, news that shook the NFL world, news that shook the world of the Miami Dolphins with the passing of former Miami Dolphins head coach and current, or was current, Vikings offensive line coach Tony Sperano, 56 years old, suddenly died unexpectedly. They are saying it's heart disease. His wife found him unresponsive in the kitchen on this past Sunday morning. Obviously, a very sad time for the Sperano family. Very sad time for all those who knew him personally. And even us as fans who watched Tony Sperano here on the Miami Dolphins lead them to an AFC East title. And then uh, moving on after three years to, to a different venture in the NFL after being let go by Stephen Ross. 
you know, all those memories just flood back and it feels like we were connected to him personally in a way. But there's another guy who was connected to him much more personally than all of us who worked in the same building as Tony Sperano on a daily basis. And that is Andy Cohen from MiamiDolphins.com. Columnist for AC in the AM has been covering the Miami Dolphins since 1980. So has been around a lot of different coaches. Wrote a great column in memory of Tony Sperano the other day. Andy, we wish we had you on for better circumstances. But we are here today, you know, to discuss the memory of Tony Sperano, not only as a football coach, but as a man. And you highlighted several of these instances in your column. So if you could just take us behind the curtain a little bit and talk to us about Tony Sperano, the man, rather than the football coach to begin. Yeah, he, he uh, it's nice to be with you guys. He, he, he treated everybody like family. He treated his players like family. He treated his coaching staff like family. You know, it may be that Italian heritage of his where where the family can't be big enough and the family can't be close enough. And that's really the way he viewed his players. He he often termed them as my guys in the locker room. And, and uh, uh, you know, there was, there was no doubt in his mind uh, the, the way he embraced his, his players, his coaches, uh, he was just a he was just a warm, passionate, classy man who uh, uh, just rolled up his sleeves and went to work every day. There was really not a lot of flash and dash to him. Uh, you know, he didn't come up with great one line quips. He just, like I said, rolled up his sleeves, and every day he'd be the earliest in there and the latest out of there. And and uh, uh, he just loved his profession, loved what he did, and and really cherished his role as head coach of the Miami Dolphins. Yeah, just to speak on your point, Andy, you know, you see players like Greg Camarillo coming out, Reggie Bush coming out, thanking Coach Sperano for their opportunity on the field, and you can just feel the players' uh, respect for him, and that really seems to be a lasting legacy for him. Another legacy, at least from a fan perspective, is the passion and the enthusiasm that he brought to the sidelines with the fist pumps. Could you just go into what was his um, – demeanor on the field in your eyes and what were some of the favorite games that you covered while coach Sperano was coaching for us? Yeah. You know, it's funny. He was, he was ripped a little in the media for cheering after field goals. People always said, why doesn't he just cheer after touchdowns? He cheered after every positive play. It wasn't only field goals. It wasn't always touchdowns. He was just such a enthusiastic Hands always clapping, very, very warm, very emotional, very, very, you know, he just assumed hug you, slap you in the back. He, he, he was just a, just a working man's type of coach that did things with dignity and class. Uh, as far as his coaching time with the Dolphins, I, probably the key moment came early in his coaching time with the Dolphins. The Dolphins started the 2008 season 0-2. They had just lost at Arizona 31-10 to and really looked out of sync in the process. And on the plane ride home, uh, Sperano got together with his coaching staff with the prospect of playing the Patriots next week in New England and an 0-3 start. Uh, got together with his coaching staff and said, we got to do something. we got to make some changes. we got to do something drastic. It was on that plane flight home where the Wildcat offense was born and, and the, the – the coaching staff decided to pull it out the following week in New England. And of all the, of all the things Sperano did, 
you know, I think the most impactful was on that flight home, getting his coaching staff together, coming up with the idea of hitting the Patriots with the Wildcat offense. And as everybody knows, the Dolphins went to New England that week, 138-13, to handed Belichick the worst home loss he had had. Uh, uh, and that propelled the Dolphins uh, to an 11-5 record after an own 2 start. They won 11 of their next 14 games, won the AFC East, only team uh, to win the AFC East during this time other than New England. Uh, um, and it was a glorious year, and I'll never forget uh, the scene in the locker room after the game uh, with Sperano clapping his hands and cheering and very, very emotional and realizing how much a team that went 1-15 the previous year uh, accomplished by going 11-5, and the greatest one-year turnaround in NFL history. And I really believe that will will be what he will be remembered most for, how he was able to turn a bad team in one year into a quality team that won the AFC East. Right. You mentioned in your column, and the picture was right there in your column of that scene in the locker room there after they won the AFC East. I think every Dolphins fan remembers that season, remembers that Wildcat game, and then, of course, that clinching game against the New York Jets. I mean, you can argue that he didn't get a fair shot in Miami, that that's not here or nor there at this time. But, you know, coming off that 1-15 season with Bill Parcells and Jeff Ireland and kind of remaking up the Dolphins, and then moving forward the next two years and having very limited success. You mentioned that, you know, while he didn't have sustained success in Miami, the impact that he had on his players and his organization was something that will long be remembered. And you've been around the Miami Dolphins since 1980. You've seen a slew of head coaches come through. Now, I'm not asking you to compare Sperano to the other coaches, but, you know, in terms of, what he was, and you kind of already touched on this already, but, you know, what he was behind the scenes, what he was to the actual team, what he was to make an impact on the organization. We always hear about Dan Campbell, uh, the interim head coach in 2015, how he changed the culture in the building in the limited time he was there, and he may get his shot one day. So it's not always about on-the-field success. But for Sperano, you know, the impact that he had on the organization, how would you measure that compared to, you know, all the other coaches that have come through? Yeah, he he brought he took a team that really didn't have much of an identity in 2017 and gave it a very very physical identity in 2008. You may remember that uh, uh, Jake Long uh, was the first round pick and he added a physical element to the team. And the sh- really the shame about Sprano's three years here is that I, I would have liked to have seen how he would have done if Chad Pennington had stayed healthy in 2009, Mm. if he had better, you know, he was dealing with Chad Henney at quarterback, uh, you know, really didn't have the type of quarterback in those last two years to run his offense, to give him the the stability and consistency he was looking for. And, and, uh, you know, as we've learned over the years, uh, uh, you know, a head coach is only as good as a starting quarterback. And in 2008, he had Chad Pennington and Chad Pennington played very well. And, uh, he was as good as a starting quarterback. And then the following two years, he didn't have Pennington. He had Chad Henney. Uh, um, and the Dolphins struggled to come up with a winning record. So, uh, you know, I, I think Sperano, uh will always be remembered for the transformation from 2007 to 2008. I think he'll always be remembered for laying it on the line every single day, for being the type of coach that, players really admired, played hard for, looked up to, uh, uh, considered a friend, considered a family member almost. Uh, You know, all of those things 
uh, will be remembered about Tony Sperano. He, he, you know, he passed on way too soon. It's, it's very sad. It's very, it's very tragic. And, and, uh, it really made me take a look at, uh, back at those three years and, and, uh, and how much he meant to the organization. All right, Andy Cohen with the Miami Dolphins, AC in the AM, MiamiDolphins.com. Andy, a beautiful tribute to Tony Sperano in your latest column. We appreciate you taking your time out of your busy schedule to join us here and share all your memories of Sperano. We all know that he's going to be missed. My pleasure. You take care. In our view... And a great interview by Andy, obviously, some very touching words by Andy. You heard him. And we all know, and everyone's been saying, that Tony Sperano was a family man first. He was a guy who put your personal life first above football. He was a guy who got to know you before he threw the football stuff at you. I think it was Kevin Burnett who tweeted the other day or posted on Instagram that Tony Sperano knew every one of his family members' names. And that is just a testament to the kind of guy that Tony Sperano is, the kind of person that he is. For me, there's always been that little sort of special extra connection because he grew up uh, coaching in Connecticut, in New Haven, Connecticut, and which is about 45 minutes from me. So when I read about that, when he was hired by the Dolphins, you know that sparked a little more interest in me. We all remember when he first came over after that 1-15 and dreadful season by Cam Cameron when he came over and, and took this team to an AFC East title. And yes, the season started off rough, and no one, no one, not one person expected the Dolphins to knock off the Patriots. Yes, they were without Tom Brady. But the AFC East title still remains. It's, there's no asterisk next to it. And then, of course, stunning everybody, including fans, and even including the Dolphins players themselves, because there's been articles about that where they said they it wasn't working in practice. And they just absolutely annihilated the Patriots. Chad Pennington dropping in their laps in the middle of June after the June 1st cuts from the New York Jets. And just a magical, magical season. And obviously that success would not be replicated in the next two years. But really, he brought a lot of joy and excitement to Dolphins fans' lives for that one season. Yes, we were all ready to move on from him after the third season. But, you know, when you look back on it, someone's impact is much more than football. And Andy described that perfectly. Certain, you know, your thoughts on Tony Sperano and your memories of him. Absolutely appreciate Andy for his time. Uh, 2008 was just a fun year. I mean, coming from the 2007 season when we were able to scrape by with one victory, got the behind the scenes look from Greg a couple months ago, but you know, 2008 was the biggest turnaround in NFL history, and you had the Chad Pennington resurgence, and that was kind of a nice little middle finger to to the Jets to to have Chad Pennington come to us and and have that kind of success that he had in 2008. Then you had the Wildcat, but really, when you boil it down, Tony Sperano, he just exudes the class and the demandingness that you expect of a coach, and where I respect him as a parent coming up with some millennial parents where it's a little bit more of a we're trying to be our kids friends sort of thing Sperano was not that kind of person and that's what I respect about him was that he demanded and expected a lot out of his players 
and he was always honest with them. That's one of the common threads that we heard from some of the uh, the players that tweeted something out, or we've been able to talk to ourselves. But he was honest with them, both in good and in bad. And like you said, he knows family members. He expected a lot, but he loved a lot. And those two qualities, the expectation of of high standards and the the love and the warmth that you expect uh, out of a big grizzly bear like Tony Sperano, uh, we'll miss him and miss his enthusiasm, miss his fist pumps, and God bless him and his family. Yeah, when news broke about Tony Sperano, I think it was Sunday, like you said, I mean, it, it was pretty devastating. You see players, former players, coaches, uh, good or bad, they pass away all the time. And then to see this with Tony Sperano, I mean, 56 years old, a guy that you both mentioned family first. I mean, you just got to think about his wife and his kids and his grandkids. Prayers are with them. But, I mean, he was the epitome of a family man. He was a hard-nosed head coach. And I think a lot of us, you know, took that for granted. Uh, that 2008 season to this day is one of the fondest memories of the Miami Dolphins that I think many of us have. I mean, uh, it's definitely the best season we've had in a decade, if not longer. And to just remember how it went down, I mean, that wildcat offense when it first came out, that's a memory – that's something that none of us will ever forget. I mean, you said it, Kanata uh, wasn't quite working in practice. The players continue to come out and say that, but Tony Sprong stuck to his guns. David Lee, they drew up quite a game plan, and they went out there and just put a thrash into the New England Patriots. I mean, last season we beat them on Monday Night Football. Uh, we seem to play them tough every year, but that game in 2008, uh, it's something we'll never forget. I was thankful enough to be at that. Week 17 game where Brett Favre got destroyed by Jeremiah Bell. Dolphins won the AFC East. I mean, I think I tweeted out the other day, that's the first time in, what, 15 years that a team other than the Patriots won the AFC East, whether or not it's because, you know, Tom Brady went down from that, I believe it was Bernard Pollard hit or whatever it may be. That was a special season for the Dolphins. Uh, we got to thank Tony Sperano for that. Everything that he did for this organization, uh, Sutton touched on it. This biggest turnaround in NFL history. Uh, it's just a shame to see a guy to you know do all these great things he was obviously well respected by his players coaches everyone keeps you know coming out and just speaking great about this guy it's a shame to see him pass away at such a young age uh but i'm thankful for the time he spent with the dolphins organization in that 2008 season uh there may never be anything quite like that we can sit here and talk about tony sperano all night long we could dedicate an entire week's worth of shows on him but I think Andy spoke for a lot of us with his memories and his tributes. It's, there's no easy transition going from talking about the death of someone and the memory of someone to actual football news. Because when you look at it, football seems so insignificant to someone's life, to someone's memory, to someone's death. But as we all know and as we have all experienced throughout our lives, sports has a way of bringing people together and helping people cope with the unexpected. Latest news, rumors, and inside information. And it, this week, there's not much, to be honest with you, because football is just gearing up for training camp to begin. Last week, we had Matty Infante on. He dropped quite a few nuggets in terms of training camp battles approaching, talked a little bit. You know, in terms of the cornerback battle, where it's Cordrea Tankersley jobs to lose. And he even went as so far to stop short of saying that the Dolphins coaches have basically insinuated this to Tankersley that it is his job to lose. Of course, 
He is battling with Tony Lippett. He also mentioned the tight end battle. Mike Jasicki has said not to expect much of him. Naturally, history says NFL rookie tight ends don't really adjust to the NFL, usually until their second season. Sometimes in their first season, it takes about halfway through. Most, it takes a full season. He also mentioned, you know, Frank Gore, Kalen Ballage, Kenya Drake splitting there, but Kalen Ballage eventually getting on the field. Mentioned some wide receiver position battles there. A lot of different things happening, a lot of different moving parts, but how it's certain. I think the biggest battle that we're going to see heading into training camp is the cornerback battle, right? Cordrea Tankersley, Tony Lippin, and you tell me if, if you have a different one that you're thinking of. But, you know, Tankersley played really well, in my opinion. He had some struggles, as any rookie cornerback would do. They say rookie cornerbacks usually take two, three years to really start progressing, and we saw Xavier Howard just flip a switch in the middle of this past season. But is Tankersley the guy? Can Lippitt beat him out? And I would say no. So I'm going to be looking for Tankersley to hold on to that starting cornerback job. Houts, uh, what about you in terms of who do you think would be the guy there and what position battles are you looking at based on what Maddie and Fonte said? Admittedly, uh, I may be one of the few, but when Tony Lippitt went down, I thought that was a huge, you know, a huge blow to the secondary for this team. I thought he was an important piece moving forward. Uh, uh, so I think Cordrea Tankersley had a hell of a rookie year. He, he did well. He, he went out there and performed beyond expectations. And I definitely think that he has the, you know, the, the front path to that starting role opposite of Xavier and Howard. But I think Tony Lippett's going to go out there and he's going to compete. He's a veteran. He's been here before. He made uh, quite a transition from wide receiver to cornerback, as we all know. And I don't think he's going to just lay down and, and give that position up. So I think, uh, I won't be surprised if Tony Lippitt comes back and takes that starting role. Um, I mean, it, it's a good problem to have when you got a guy like Xavier Howard, you got Cordrea Tankersley, you got Tony Lippitt battling for that second spot, and then you got Bobby McCain, who some think, you know, based on that contract, based on his skill set, could see more reps outside. So, I mean, the secondary is slowly shaping up to be a, a strength of this team. Um, but for me, I think it's that, that linebacker position opposite of, you know, Raekwon and Kiko, I think. Stefan Anthony, as Maddie said, seems to be the guy who had a positive offseason, seems to be doing all the right things. But Chase Allen also played pretty well last year, thrown into the mix. A uh, guy that we brought on the show, Quentin Pulling, I think he's going to surprise some folks. Um, and Jerome Baker, I mean, that's a guy who he can cover. He may be a little bit undersized, but, I mean, he's a speedy linebacker who's, you know, pretty natural there next to uh, Raquan McMillan. So, uh, I think that linebacker spot's going to ultimately decide this this defense because I like what we have in the secondary. I think the defensive line's going to be just fine. Uh, but middle linebacker, that linebacking spot in the middle of the defense, you got Raekwon coming back, thankfully. Kiko opposite to him. And then that third spot, I think that's going to make or break this defense because, I mean, we've been pretty admissible at, uh, you know, we've been pretty bad lately at the linebacker position. I think Kevin Burnett and Carlos Danzu were some of the two that, you know, kind of stand out as the guys who we could rely on there. So if that linebacker, if that middle of the defense can ensure up, this defense has a chance to be something special. Tony Lippett's injury just came at a really unfortunate time in his career. You know, really like his ball skills and on a defense where we're trying to generate some more turnovers and flip the field position a little bit better than we have been to have him go down with that Achilles last year, like how it said that, mean, that was, I, I didn't like that at all. And I was a big lip fan. 
I happen to think Tankersley might actually be the most talented cornerback on our team. So I do expect him to win this competition and to prove himself as the number one corner of this team. So I, I look forward to seeing what Cordrea does at camp with the Baker Anthony, uh, sorry, you know, the Jerome Baker, Stefan Anthony battle there. One thing I don't think, how it's kind of alluded to it, but one thing we're not taking into account that Baker McMillan played together at college. And there's a certain synergy there that is hard to replace with repetition because he and Baker have already done it. So say he and Stefan Anthony go through a bunch of reps in training camp. Yeah, they can get caught up to speed and whatnot, but is there that much of a difference between Stefan Anthony and Jerome Baker where you have that much time uh, to invest that Baker and McMillan already have together if they're playing in the same package there? So I look, what I've kind of heard is Stefan Anthony, yes, has quietly had a, a solid offseason so far. That's not to say that Baker can't win this win this battle though. So I, I look for Jerome Baker to actually uh, win this battle here. One thing that we also have to take into account is that TJ McDonald might be the odd man out in the safety group. So he's actually going to be competing with Baker and Anthony with these will spot, uh, especially in nickel situations. Um, Sorry, and they in a uh, different kind of four three sub package nickel would imply that they have three defensive backs. Um, so McDonald could be a, a nickel there. You'd like to see McCain there, obviously, though. What I want to throw out to you guys, and one thing that I felt kind of unresolved with the Matty I interview was if if Jasicki is only going to be getting 50% of the snaps and it makes sense from a level-headed perspective, who's the starter, though? Is it Marquise Gray? Is it A.J. Derby? Is it Gavin Askabar? Which veteran is it? I don't know. That's a great question. And, you know, you said you said it right. I said at the beginning of the segment, there is not much news and information coming out right now because there's really nothing going on. So we're going back to last week's interview with Maddie Infanti and he mentioned this, like I said, um, you know, I, I think Marquise Gray, I think he showed some talent. I think he showed some skills last season. I do think they're going to try as best as they can to get Jaziki involved, splitting him out into the slot perhaps, but he's not your traditional tight end. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how they handle it. Adam Gates has always wanted his tight end to really play a huge role in his offense. And he needs a tight end to make his offense really flow and run the way he wants it to. So as this plays out, we know Jaziki kind of was slow in uh, OTAs to learn the playbook and to get on his roots and everything else. So has he improved since then? Who knows? We'll have to see. Uh, any last thoughts on, on different battles that Maddie Infante mentioned last week in our news and rumors segment? One thing you did mention was about Minka Fitzpatrick. You know, I think we talked about a little bit through text, our text group, but I mean, uh, he said how, you know, he might be out there with the, the second string, might see some reps with them, and it's nothing to really panic about. I think we all can agree that he's pretty much solidified as that free safety. I think he might have the best coverage skills of the group. But to see him going out there, you know, with the second string, you might see tweets from different beat writers or whatever that he's out there with the second string. Don't be alarmed. I mean, uh, it'd be in the Dolphins' best interest to get him out there, to give him as many reps as possible because come game day, Megan Fitzpatrick's going to have a huge role in this defense. I mean, the reason he fell to – I mean – 
I think we're all still in disbelief that he fell to 11th overall. So, I mean, Minka is going to be very versatile. You're going to see him, you know, drop down. He might play some nickel, might drop down there. You know, Sutton mentioned TJ McDonald at, at will. You may even see Minka down there. You're just going to see him roaming all throughout the, the defense. He might even play some boundary corner. So, to, to see, you know, he's out there with the second team defense, don't be alarmed because Minka Fitzpatrick is going to have a huge role come game day for the Dolphins. Fantasy football. And our newest segment this week, debuting here on Finside Radio, is our fantasy football segment. And we all know that House is the fantasy football guru, kicking ass and taking money from everyone around Twitter, around the country. Just, you know, jumping in there and, and doing his thing with fantasy football. So this week here on our fantasy football segment, we're going to talk about how to win in the draft. And there are so many different draft strategies out there. Some go best player available no matter what. Some players go tier-based projections. Some people go value-based projections and positions. So, Howitz, we're going to start with you on this one. How do you draft? And what does your team look like mid-season? I know for me, when I draft, half my team is gone by the middle of the season. Hell, half my team is gone by week three or four. So what, what's your best strategy for winning the draft? Just to clarify, it's easy to take people's money when you're in eight or nine leagues because all you need to do is win one of them. So I'm definitely not some kind of guru. I just enjoy playing fantasy football in enough that, you know, you break even if you win one or two. So uh, with that set aside, I mean, running backs, a lot of team, a lot of people like to think, you know, uh, you can get good value in the later rounds. I really don't feel that way. I think that you got to get a running back and a wide receiver in those first two rounds. I mean, unless the draft goes terribly wrong, uh, that's my way to approach it. I mean, you get a top five pick, you're probably going running back. You get a later, you know, one of those later rounds, you might come back in the snake and you might go wide receiver running back. PPR leagues, you might try to go after wide receivers. But based on all the drafts I've done, I mean, whether it's best ball, whether it's you know, super flex leagues, whatever it may be. It seems like these running backs are going super early. So uh, if, if you snooze, you pretty much lose, and you don't want to do that. I mean, Kenny Drake's going in the fourth round in most drafts. I mean, after that, there's a pretty big, you know, difference between a, a starting quality running back and, and what you may end up with, like a Marshawn Lynch or something. So for me, I try to get a running back and a wide receiver in those first two rounds. Uh, obviously, if the draft uh, falls differently, you might go – a different way. Um, but you're right. I mean, drafts leagues are won and lost by, you know, hitting the waiver, making trades. So don't be scared and always be the first one on those waivers. Cause that's what ultimately will make or break your season. Absolutely agree. I know the question was, what's the strategy for winning the draft? That's kind of a different thing that I'll touch on real quick, but the, the real key to winning fantasy football is the waiver wire. In my opinion, you always have to be paying attention. You always have to know uh, who who's not doing well on your team. And sometimes players get injured and that's the one real grim reaper in fantasy football. So really in the first two rounds, yeah, you'd like to do running back wide receiver split if you can, but if it doesn't work out that way, that's okay. You just don't, want to screw it up. I mean, you you just want to get players that are in the top 10 to 15 players in their position. So you just want to avoid players that aren't injured for extended periods of time that 
you trust can get some consistent scoring for you. And consistency is a, an important part of that because you don't want to have a player get 45 points one game and then get one, two, five, seven, eight, and then get 32. You know, I, I don't like that kind of volatility in a in a early round draft pick. So I want a consistent scoring early. And then really in the middle rounds, you're just looking for players that can outproduce where they're being drafted. And you're just looking for players who have opportunity, who are going to get a lot of touches. And a, a player that I kind of like, two players that I'll, I'll throw out there is Lamar Miller. I He was a top eight running back when Deshaun Watson was under center. I think he could do some damage. And I also think Randall Cobb is a decent a name to throw out there just because he is playing with Aaron Rodgers and what's going to be a understandably excellent offense. And you just want to have a timeshare of Aaron Rodgers and they just shipped out Jordy Nelson. So you like to think that some of those targets are going to go back to a trusted factor. And Randall Cobb is that person. He's the most familiar with Aaron Rodgers. That running back group is looking a little bit more settled. So Randall Cobb, I think, is looking like a pretty smart investment, in my opinion. But early on, you just don't want to swing and whiff. You can take average production. You just don't want to whiff. I can talk draft all night long because that is my favorite part of the fantasy football season. I will literally join leagues just for the draft euphoria and then regret joining all those leagues once the draft is over. I have gone through so many different draft methods over the years. Um, I have tried best player available no matter what. I have tried projections and then ranking them in tiers. I have tried value-based by position. And I, I think over the years, I, I've seen that I think the best way to go about it is value-based by position. And what that basically is, is taking rankings the consensus rankings that are out there and then tweaking them for my liking, putting them in tiers by the number of teams that are in your league. So if there's 10 teams, you know, there's 10 players in each tier. If there's 12 teams, there's 12 players in each tier. And then looking at the drop-off between one player to the next, because if you go best player available, right, you may end up taking a quarterback in round two when there's another quarterback right below that guy or two or three other quarterbacks right below that guy who can be just as good as EPA isn't the end-all, be-all. There needs to be a little more strategy in there. Last year, I went, um, I did a little value-based by projection, and I think projections are a little tricky because nobody knows what's going to happen. So I think just going by overall ranking is the best way to go. I ended up taking Devontae Freeman in the first round. I had like the number seven or eight pick in a 10-man league, and then I picked Jay Ajayi on the turnaround. Needless to say, they were both off my team by midseason because they both struggled throughout the year. So I don't really go into the draft with a set strategy. I more so go in, I, I watch the board, how it plays out, and then I just make decisions when it's my time to come based on who's available, based on who's in line at the value based by projection and by position, I mean, and, and just going from there. It's never a good idea to have a stone cold strategy going into the draft because that's where you get into trouble. You also have to watch the runs. And when you have people who really don't know what they're doing, it kind of messes up the entire flow of the draft. It's only, Even though everyone can do what they want with their team, it's almost like blackjack when you're sitting at the blackjack table, right? It's everyone else's money. They can do whatever they want. But if you're not playing the right way, if you're playing the wrong moves, it messes everybody else up. And that's the way it is in fantasy football as well. 
around the NFL. And now for our final segments of the evening around the NFL. Here are the latest headlines happening throughout the league. Los Angeles Rams running back Todd Gurley signing a new deal. According to ESPN's Adam Schefter, it's a four-year extension worth $60 million with $45 million in guarantees. Gurley was named the 2017 NFL Offensive Player of the Year after finishing the season as a league leader in yards from scrimmage 2093, as well as rushing and receiving touchdowns with 19. This effectively resets the running back market and gives a baseline for running backs to set their new contracts moving forward. Mike Brown, owner of the Cincinnati Bengals, said he hopes that there is something uniform in place for the national anthem protest by week one. Currently, the anthem policy, as we discussed last week, is on a standstill until the NFL and NFLPA figures out what to do. The NFL suspended Jaguars' Dante Fowler without pay for week one versus the Giants for violating the NFL's personal conduct policy. According to Ian Rappaport, the suspension stems from a 2017 arrest. The 2015 first-round pick was arrested in July 2017 for simple battery and committing mischief and ended up pleading no contest to battery, criminal mischief, and petty theft. He is currently serving a one-year probation. Titans defensive tackle Jarrell Casey says the new policy with the NFL, even if they do enforce it, says it won't stop him from continuing to demonstrate. Casey says, I'm going to take a fine this year. Why not? I'm going to protest during the flag. That's what I'm going to say now. Former Jets cornerback, former cornerback of many different teams throughout the NFL, Darrell Revis, announced his retirement from the National Football League. His statement, in part, says, For the past 11 years, it's truly been an honor to showcase one of my greatest gifts to the world. Today, I am closing a chapter in my life that I once dreamed of as a kid, and I am officially retiring from the National Football League. Cowboys defensive end Randy Gregory, reinstated by the NFL, was just on the field for 14 games since he was picked in the second round of the 2015 NFL Draft, suspended for 30 games, including all 16 games in the 2017 NFL season. And the biggest news around the NFL is really not news at all in terms of what's actually happening in the headlines, but more so what's really going to happen as we kick off the NFL season. Training camps around the NFL are opening this week. The Miami Dolphins open up Wednesday morning, and it is time for football. There will not be another Saturday or Sunday without football until after the Super Bowl starting this coming weekend. Boys, it is finally here, and it is go time. It is time to start the Miami Dolphins' quest to the Super Bowl. It's always a wonderful time to have dead season in your rearview mirror. I mean, I'm stoked. I mean, this is, you know, the best <laughs> for Dolphin fans. This is this is our Super Bowl. You know, we have hope. There's a chance that this team could be different than other teams. 2016 with Tannehill was a heck of a year. Gase, year three, Tannehill in the third year with Gase. I mean, we have reason to be excited. This is Gase's team. Uh, culture change, whatever it may be, I'm excited. Thank God football's back, whether it's college, you know, NFL. I'm, I'm excited. Let's let's just get the season going. I like you said, we're not going to be without football for quite some time. So we have all we all have reason to be super excited. We touched on it previously in the show, and I don't think it's a good idea to get sterile and talk about every single position battle. We're going to see it all play out. Everyone knows what's happening in terms of the Dolphins. We're hitting on the highlights of the show. But really quick before we end our show for this week, what is training camp for you? For me, it used to be, oh, my God, we're getting ready. Let's see how the defense plays. Let's see how the offense plays. Let's see who's getting ahead. Let's see who's doing well. But we all know over the years 
that has not really come to fruition when you put on the pads and go into preseason and the regular season. It really doesn't matter what happens in preseason. On the field, it matters once the lights come on in week one. So for me, training camp is seeing these players progress, seeing them learn the playbook, seeing the younger guys get reps. Of course, obviously no major injuries in training camp. I'm knocking on wood right now. Let's just pray and hope we see it throughout the NFL every single year. Let's just hope that the Dolphins are not cursed this year. But, you know, the guys just learning, progressing. You're going to see reports, oh, the offense is ahead of the defense. Defense is ahead of the offense. Offense looks sluggish. Defense looks sluggish, so forth and so forth. Do not be alarmed by that, please. We've seen the Dolphins go undefeated in preseason, go 3-1 and one in preseason, and then totally bomb during the regular season. We've seen teams like the Patriots win one game in preseason and go on to almost get a perfect season in the regular season. Just enjoy it. Enjoy the buildup to the regular season. Enjoy the progression of the players. Remember, a lot of learning going on, a lot of taking, a lot of offense, defense, installations taking place still, and just a slow process as we lead in to week one of the 2018 regular season. Certain, what is training camp for you? No injuries. Absolutely. Yep. 100% the number one concern and issue and everything on anybody's mind is please get out of camp healthy. Uh, with that being said, I would really like to know if Omar, Ka- Omar Kelly falls asleep uh, <laughs> at this camp. Uh, one low-key thing that I'm going to be looking for is how is the lowering the crown of the helmet rule being enforced in camp? I, I want to see how that plays out. I think it's a very undeveloped story at this point. But when you think about that rule change that they made, I'm really curious how that's going to play out in real life. So I want to see what happens there from a technique standpoint. And then you just want to see the young guys and see how they get acclimated to the game. Two guys I'm really going to be watching, Raekwon McMillan. He had the injury last year, so I want to see how he's moving around, how he has command over – what's going on on the defensive side of the ball. And then I also want to see how Minka is adjusting. You you heard the the snip a couple weeks ago on around the NFL where he's learning not two, but three different positions. So you want to see, does he have, uh, does he come out with some, some body language confidence? Does it look like he can handle all three of those responsibilities? And is he flying around? Does he show any hesitation? I want to see how that dynamic works out. So those two young guys, Raekwon and Minka, obviously you're going to be looking at Ryan Tannehill and Parker and Charles Harris and Devon Godshaw and all these young guys, but McMillan and Minka are really the two most important young guys that we have in my opinion. Yes, sir. Just named the entire 53-man roster. You already touched <laughs> on everything, so there's really not much more I can add. I mean, no one wants to see it, that Bleach Report update where Ryan Tannehill hit a pothole towards ACL uh, again. No one wants to, you know, see, see these injuries that could take place. I mean, let's just get out of training camp healthy. Uh, we're all excited to see these rookies, uh, some of these second, third-year players, you know, continue to grow, continue to get better, see how they are in the defense, the offense. Ray Cole McMillan, we're all excited for him. Uh, for me, I want to see the wide receivers. I want to see, you know, who steps up in Jarvis Landry's absence. I want to see what Amendola does from a veteran standpoint. I want to see Albert Wilson because, you know, big things are expected of him. Jakeem Grant, he should be taking the next step. 
Devontae Parker every year. You know, he's that darling. He's that guy that's supposed to be the next Randy Moss and then just fizzles out during the season. So there's all sorts of storylines that may take place, uh, offensive line, you know, whatever it may be. Um, I'm just excited, you know, to see them. I, the reason I joined Twitter back in 2009, I, I feel old as hell, but the reason I joined it was to see those camp updates. You know, the Armour Kelly's, the Armando Salgares yep. tweeting out, you know, David Fales connects with, you know, whoever it may be for a, a 60-yard pass or the, an interception here from TJ McDonald, Minka Fitzpatrick. Uh, I'm excited to have football back in my life. I'm excited for those moments, you know, when you're off work and you can just sit there and keep up with tweets in the in the morning, see the Armando Sogara, you know, tweet out pictures of players, uh, whatever it may be. Football's back. Let's get excited. This is our time. Uh, I mean, every year the Dolphins, you know, they might go 8-8, eight 7-9. and, eight, seven and nine. But this is the part of the year where we have hope, and let's just hope that everyone can stay healthy. Everything comes together. And this is your Adam Gase and Ryan Tannehill, you know, lead this team in the promised land. It, it seems like a long shot, but no one thought the Eagles were going to do with what they did last year. I think I was on this podcast. I said Doug Peterson was my least favorite head coach. I look like for saying that, but I went out there and said, you know, yeah, there's no other head coach in the NFL I'd, I'd least like to have than, you know, Doug Peterson. And he went out there and, and out coach Bill Belichick, the Philly, Philly special. I mean, everyone has a chance. So let's just remember that. Let's just stay healthy. Uh, let's see these camp battles play out and let's just see the Miami Dolphins, you know, do a lot better than they did last year. Cause if you can go six and 10 with Jay Cutler, you can go eight and eight, nine and seven with Ryan Tannehill. I have no doubt in my mind about that. The Miami Dolphins open up training camp on Wednesday where players report, but they won't officially take the field until Thursday, July 26th. And then it continues to 27, 28, 29, 30. They got the day off on the 31st in terms of on-field practice. Then August 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th. Fifth day off, sixth, seventh, and then they kind of break camp a little bit there. Then the Dolphins open their preseason schedule and have those four games before opening up the regular season against the Tennessee Titans on September 9th. It's going to be one hell of a ride from now until the end of the season. We don't know what's in store. We never know what's in store. Can the Dolphins be that Cinderella team? Can the Dolphins be that surprise team that takes the NFL by storm? If Ryan Tannehill stays healthy, if Adam Gase has the roster that he thinks he has, Anything is possible. We'll be back with you next week here on Finsider Radio next Wednesday, dropping another podcast, talking about the first week of training camp and all the latest news and information around the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. For certain, the creepy soccer dad and Houts MD, I am MC Money. Thank you for listening to Finsider Radio. We'll talk to you next time. That was Finsider Radio, part of the Finsider.com and the SB Nation Network. Miami has the Dolphins, the greatest football team. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl, because we're the Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Yes, we're the Miami Super Bowl.
Seattle Cause we're the Miami Dolphins Miami Dolphins Miami Dolphins number one Yes, we're the Miami Dolphins Miami Dolphins Miami Dolphins number one Everybody! Miami O'Reilly Auto Parts, pick up a bottle of Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale for $7.99. Plus, earn double O Rewards points. Help your engine run smoother and last longer with Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale now at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supplies. See store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hey, I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. Why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it. Then, in that moment, you don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done, and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of, like, afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts. Hello, I'm Neelai Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts.